Welcome one, welcome all. This is the Fixing Factions podcast. I'm Sam. With me today, we have Ethan and Moses. In terms of today's itinerary, we're going to kick things off with a rant from Moses, and then we're going to head into our main discussion about college admissions. Welcome to the Fixing Factions rant segment, where our contestant has up to one minute to rant about a topic of my choice. So, Moses, what you're going to rant about today is social justice warriors on social media. Your time begins now. Sweet. So, one thing I've recently learned over the past year and a half when it came to the BLM protests and just, like, taking a stand today is, um, you know, Martin Luther King talks about this, the, um, the moderate, in which when they don't make a change and when they don't make any, like, um, like stance to combat some sort of oppression, they're seeing they're 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 in an, put in a negative light, but um, that also creates a polarizing effect of people either not doing enough and people doing too much. And what ends up happening is people will go on the internet and they'll go to you know an article or they will read something and they'll just read the headline or the first few paragraphs and then think, I know everything about this, I know it's right, and so it creates this um, kind of like culture where people will just like read surface level information and create the surface level activism which in turn creates more misinformation with people and just makes both sides of all, both political aisles look bad in general. Everybody, we are on to today's main segment. Um, and so what I wanted to talk to you guys about today was opportunity gaps, um, especially when it comes to college admissions and basically how I think that affirmative action doesn't really do what it's supposed to do. A couple days ago, I was reading an article in The Economist, and I came across this really interesting stat. And it's that Harvard University accepts more students from the top 1% of income earners than it accepts students from the bottom 60% of income earners. So obviously, I don't think that's great, because when you have a system like that, it locks people who come from not even poor families, but like solidly middle families out of some of our college's best universities, or sorry, from some of our nation's best universities. Basically, one of the only ways that the United States helps out, you know, in theory, like lower income kids is through affirmative action, which basically gives a boost to African Americans and to a lesser extent Latino students um, when they are applying for college. But that doesn't actually have necessarily anything to do with class. And, you know, especially in the last couple generations, there are increasing numbers of wealthy Latino and black families who can, you know, get their kids into these really top tier schools. I kind of want to get your guys' opinion on, do you guys think that affirmative action in its current state, like, does enough to close sort of gaps when it comes to, to sort of class and income disparities? You know, affirmative action doesn't consider the whole picture, right? The reason that a lot of these top income earners are making it into these extremely prestigious and extremely exclusive schools is often the, the upbringing, right? Is the, uh, the way that they're able to pay for more or less everything in high school that sets them up. So you're thinking like test prep and like college advisors or test prep tutors you know 
sports gear um yeah just like being a like well-rounded student being able to like perform in all of these sports without worrying about like money and how you're going to pay for your jerseys and stuff like that yeah 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 also paying for kids private lessons in sports that offer big scholarship money yet don't have a lot of people in the competitive field right so you know a lot of people take up fencing or horseback uh, riding yeah or... horseback riding which equestrian yeah equestrian is one of the most most expensive sports to play period Wait, ethan what does equestrian mean is that just horse that's like the weird like horse dance like horse dancing more or less not like dancing but what the heck <laughs> it's equestrian essentially is just like all horseback riding sports like the hurdle horses and the like oh performance horses I've heard it in a Drake song before, but never in this context. So, it is the sport of the bourgeoisie. Yes. Yeah. No. I feel like money does have a lot, a lot of play when it comes to like how far you get in just in terms of school. Like, I, I know that there are definitely students out there who like are unable to afford books, or aren't able to able able to afford like AP tests, and yeah, there are times in like which there are, there is like financial aid for like students who do have those issues. But I feel like it just doesn't do enough, like, by setting these kids up. Yeah. No, no, I, I see where you're coming from. A few years ago, there was a lot of publicity surrounding a case where a number of Asian American students sued Harvard, basically saying that they were being discriminated against in the admissions process, which they kind of were. That's how affirmative action works. White and Asian students usually get the short end of the stick. Well, I don't necessarily agree with the aims of the lawsuit, there was a lot of really interesting information about the admissions process at elite universities and the way that college admissions benefits the wealthy. The New York Times did an article about it at the time where they reference um, a few things, including something called the Dean's List, which is basically where it's not like a typical dean's list where good grades are, you know, rewarded and you get on the dean's list. It's like this whole separate thing where the children of people who have donated large amounts of money to whatever prestigious university will frequently get on it. Um, also, children of the rich and famous. On top of that, there are all of these sports scholarships awarded. And a lot of them, a lot of colleges will recruit athletes for pretty obscure sports, like what we were talking about with, you know, your equestrian and your diving and your sailing. Because, you know, most students don't really have the opportunity to try those kinds of sports. Like, who owns a boat to just go sailing with, you know? Right. I mean, like, your family has to have real resources and live in, like, a few very specific parts of the country. And it's not to say, like, those places are also, like, very, like, competitive real estate areas. Like, money is what you do to get in there, so. Yeah. Jeez. <laughs> no, you're also good. sort of legacy admissions. Um, so, like... If your parents went to a good school, then your shot of getting into that school is substantially higher. Um, also, if, you know, your parent actually works for the school, then your shot of getting into the school is substantially higher. I don't feel like that, that comes from a place of, like, privilege and bougie privilege. I just feel like that comes from, like, oh, your parents work here. Cool. Yeah. Nepotism. So here's my take on this. Both of my parents went to 
schools that are considered pretty prestigious and exclusive, <clears throat> you know, not to flex, no. I like that it doesn't reflect. I wouldn't say that it reflects on me in any way. Um, I think, I because here's my take: is my mother's part of a like the donating class that has more or less donated the most amount of money to her school for you know a chance at getting their kids admission, and essentially what I want to say, what we've been told is that you have to be so high up that you can more or less donate like millions of dollars to the school, like multi-million dollars to the school in order to guarantee a chance, at, more or less guarantee a chance at being accepted. You know, I think a lot of colleges are beginning to phase out legacy admissions in the interest of competitivity, right? There are so many competitive kids out there uh, each generation gets smarter and smarter. And so every time that they suggest that, you know, having legacy gives you a boost up, which I, yeah, I do. I do still think that it does. Um, they suggest that if you apply like ED with legacy, that you're going to have a leg up. But I think the minute that you hit like regular application, you know, it's, it's kind of open party. Anyone's going to apply yeah, I probably don't look as competitive as some of the other kids just because my parents went to said school. You know, I don't, I think colleges have begun to trend away from the paradigm of like, they're going to be smart because their parents went here too. It doesn't necessarily reflect the kid where the parent went to college. Right. Well, I mean, I think that's been the case for a really long time. So it's kind of silly that we've ever just admitted kids because their parents went to that college. Yeah. I, it does, to some extent, just feel like a perpetuation of, of privilege. It it certainly is. In order to like get those grades, it's you have to either have like really good like um uh, uh like tutoring. You have to have some decent amount of like uh like SAT prep classes, and those those like again those those take well, so or, much or money. Not even necessarily that you have to have those, but you do have to come from an environment where education is supported and valued right okay so yeah so so just kind of adding on to my point about you know maybe the college isn't specifically looking at your name and going their legacy that means that they're smart but these prestigious colleges are churning out kids that are going to go into good jobs right as you said it's kind of this cycle right where job uh like job applicant puts college like prestigious college name on their resume the interviewer person receiving that applicant it goes oh my gosh that's a great school they must have gotten a great education you know they're more likely to get another interview get the job whatever these jobs tend to be you know higher up um because of like the quality of the name and the 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 quality of the education at these institutions and so you know, I think it begins a cycle of like these people make start to make a lot of money that they can invest back into their kids for their education and for their future. And, you know, as you said, Sam, it's a lot of prioritizing education and using a lot of income to prioritize education that can, again, you know, kind of lead to legacy admissions becoming a, a real thing. So then it does raise the question, how do you fix that? 
right? Most colleges in the United States accept some form of federal funding, meaning that the federal government needs to say, we're just going to cut off federal funding if you allow for, you know, students to essentially buy their way in. You know, you're talking about tens of millions of dollars to get into an elite university because your mom or dad has their name on a building. Um, you basically need to get rid of legacy admissions. I think a big part of sort of what's aggravating to me about the whole process is that, you know, you talk about a super elite university. Harvard had an acceptance rate of less than 5% this year, which is crazy low. And while their SAT and grades are like quite high to get in, huge numbers of their applicants meet those requirements. So it's actually sort of really confusing what the the differentiating factors are as to why some students get in and some other students don't. Yeah. To take away some of sort of like the mystique or the like allure of some of these colleges, like you just have sort of baseline scores that need to be hit, right? You say your GPA has to be such and such and or or your class rank has to be such and such at your high school. And you have to have such and such standardized testing. You know, we can have a separate debate about whether standardized testing is really the best thing. And then after that, it just becomes a drawing, right? Because I think it becomes really hard to sort of distinguish between students, you know, it it would make it seem more clear. So I think what you do is you just tell students that, you know, you made it into the drawing because your grades and class rank or whatever were good enough. And now we're just going to draw to see if you get in. How would you guys feel about that? Yeah, I think that's potentially an interesting idea. You know, a lot <laughs> a lot of people say that's how it feels right now, right? Because I, I do think that colleges don't outright say it, but there are minimum barriers that you have to hit to even move past the first you know, admission level um, and be seriously considered. But they talk a lot about, you know, how important your personal essays are, your personal recommendations. I think a lot of those factors are stuff that you just, you can't really control most of the time, you know. I think that's where we get into trouble with like a lottery system is, you know, they've got the grades, how motivated were they getting them, how how motivated are they going to be in the future? Are they just applying because it's going to look good or are they actually applying because they want to be there and learn? I mean, and I, that's tricky because can you really tell that from their teacher recs and their college essays? Yeah, I, again, that's why a lot of people say it's a lottery now. <laughs> in the same, um, if I could, like, I feel like in the same vein, if we're looking at college and like trying to fix college at the college level, I feel like that's kind of, you know, beside the point, because there are stu- because um, college education is is significant is significant to any low income like a uh, person's like life. Anybody who's like never if if somebody had a parent or two parents who had never gone to college and is the first um, person to go to college in their family, that that creates like just really good ripple effects and just like intergenerational intergenerational wealth in the future for this family that's the thing is like i said you don't need to necessarily go to harvard you just need to get a good uh, get a good education in general in order for that to happen i I feel like we should be looking at um like 
what's like what starts and what creates students who are not necessarily going to go to Harvard, but are get are, who are going to get a college education, which will you know get them a, a six figure income in the future. And I feel like we should be looking at first off just schools in general, like high schools, middle schools, and elementary schools. And when I was a kid, um, there was this like one neighborhood that I lived in, and it was it wasn't the most like affluent neighborhood, but um, I remember going to the middle school there. It was cool. Like it was, it, it was understaffed in hindsight, but, but then I remember like a few, like a year later, I moved to a different neighborhood, which was like pretty affluent. Like there were a lot more students there who like, you know, there were a lot more BMWs and Mercedes driving around the neighborhood. And I remember looking at the school and going to that school in that, in that same neighborhood. And I was like, okay, they have a lot of arts here. Um, like all this new equipment that I remember they had touched green computers. And that was the part that was like, why do they have this type of funding? And I remember th um, just looking back now is they had the, uh, uh, a lot of uh, these schools are paid through um, property taxes in the neighborhood. It's a pretty crappy way to fund schools. I think, you know, to Sam, to your point about stopping federal funding is potentially shifting federal funding from universities, prestigious universities to, uh, you know, high school, elementary, middle schools. Obviously, the issue there is that there are a lot of private universities that don't see a lot of their funding come from the federal government. Um, I think potentially with those universities is some sort of federal mandate that they hit, you know, you know, maybe even like taxing universities based on how much income they're seeing and how much their like rainy day funds are growing. That's actually a, a really interesting like, cause, cause you do talk about the really prestigious universities with multi-billion dollar endowments. Could that be taxed? I think there's a world in which it can be. I feel like it should be. Like morally, <laughs> they should be, yeah. Right, and maybe that's the kind of thing that would be taxed differently based on the admissions processes at different universities. The, the other thing that I think would be kind of interesting would be in Britain, they've spent a ton of money on developing really, really good public schools. Um, so, and, and it's like, not like all their public schools have gotten really good, but they have developed very prestigious public schools in really low income areas. Yeah, no, um, I actually, I think I heard about this a while back and uh, correct me if I'm wrong, actually, I, I haven't. Uh, like I said, I haven't actually read these statistics in a while, or like read this article in a while. But I remember reading something about how um, it's because that these um, really prestigious uh, public schools are in low-income neighborhoods. It causes the um, like the uh, the people in the upper echelon of society to actually want to move to those areas to be in those schools, which creates like just like a better economic boost in the area. Just a really interesting thought for me to to think about, you know? Yeah, I think. Here in the U.S., the culture is very different that if you live in an area, you know, uh, if you live in an area, you know, maybe you're, where the houses are a bit nicer, you know, some of these high-income families are living in those families instead of choosing to send their kids to the local public school, which draws property taxes, at least here in Colorado. I don't know if other states do the property tax, but instead of sending their kids to the public school, the local public school, they'll send them all the way down to a private, 
like private high school, private middle school, and just pump money into those private schools for their for their kids' education, right? Which I think is very different from you know the culture that you talked about of really putting funding into public schools. I think that's a great conclusion. So um, thanks everyone for listening to today's episode of the podcast. If you want to help us out, go ahead and give us a follow on TikTok or Instagram. You can find us at the handle Fixing Factions. Again, thanks for listening, and we should be back in your podcast feed next week. See you around, guys.